In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. God's own child, I gladly say it. I am baptized into Christ. What a glorious summary of the Christian faith. In the waters of holy baptism, God has given us new birth. No longer are we sins, uh, sons of the fallen Adam, born of the flesh. We have become sons of the living God, born of water and the Spirit. God is our Father, and we are His beloved children. It is holy baptism that gives us our truest and deepest identity. To be baptized into Christ is to be united with Christ, to be one with Christ. Our sins perpetually washed away. Ourselves perpetually clothed in Christ. We are baptized into the Son of God, and thus we are sons of God. There is a profound difference between saying, I was baptized and I am baptized, even though both are true in their own ways. Of course, it is the case that I was married on our wedding day, but my wife would not like me to describe it as such. Much more accurate to say that I am married. And the same is true with baptism. It's not something that happened to you in the past and stops there. You are baptized, and that changes everything. It is simply a fact that baptism is everywhere in the scriptures. And baptism recurs, shows up over and over again in the writings of the church fathers. One of the most unusual features, features of American Christianity is the minuscule and atrophied role that it gives to baptism. Baptism, we are told, is a mere symbol, an external sign of an internal reality or change, an act of decision or obedience on the part of the believer, a public testimony that one has decided to get serious about following Jesus. But what we do not find, what we cannot find, is a single verse in all of the scriptures that speak of baptism in this way. Nowhere in all of scripture is baptism called a symbol. Nowhere in all of the scriptures is baptism described as an external sign of an internal change. Nowhere in all of scripture is baptism described as a decision or act of obedience on the part of the believer. Are we here then merely to bash American Christianity? No, we are here to recover what we have lost. We are here to assert the truth that nowhere in all of Scripture is baptism described as a work of the Christian. Baptism, as taught in American Christianity, is completely foreign to what is taught in the Scriptures. What we Lutherans want to do is point this out and teach what the scriptures teach. Show forth those words of God that tell us what baptism is, 
what baptism does and what that means for us. The epistle lesson today, you probably noticed the typo. It's not from Peter. It's from Paul's letter to the Romans. Reveals just how important baptism is for the Christian. Perhaps this is the key question I'd ask you to consider today as we meditate on this section of Scripture. Is baptism the work of God or the work of man? Is baptism something God does for you or something you do for God? If we look, we'll find an answer almost immediately in Paul's words. Do you not know, he writes, that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. One of the very first things we note are Paul's passive modes of speech. All of us who have been baptized, who were baptized into Christ's death, who were buried with him. Who's doing the doing? Whose work is baptism? Is baptism something God does for man or something man does for God? Thought experiment. You could splash around in all the water you want. You could say whatever words you want to say. But is it within your power, is it within your ability to so unite yourself with Christ that his death becomes your death, and his burial your burial, and his resurrection your resurrection? In holy baptism, it is God who does these very things for you. All of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death, buried with him, in order that just as he was raised, we might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. I've titled this homily, Baptism, God at Work, because it simply could not be more clear that baptism is God's work. As St. Paul teaches, God unites us in Christ so that all that Christ has becomes ours. And this is not merely some side topic in theology. This cuts to the very heart of what it means to be Christians. It cuts to the very chase of who we are, what our identity in Christ is. Paul doesn't say, now if we have symbolically died with Christ, we believe that we will symbolically live with him. He simply states it as fact. If we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. So as the saying goes, if you die before you die, then when you die, you won't die. In holy baptism, you've already died with Christ. So when you die, you won't die. This is precisely what our Lord himself has said. Whoever lives and believes in me will never die. 
How do we live in Christ in such a way that we will never die again? We are baptized into him. And being baptized into him, it is the case that we have already died. What then do we need to fear? What then can this world do to us? What harm then do the sin and guilt which still cling to our flesh cause us? In Christ, all of this has been put away. In Christ, all of this has not only died with him, but been buried in his tomb, never to come forth again. Just as St. Paul teaches us what the true nature of baptism is, in our gospel lesson, our Lord Jesus teaches us about the true nature of our sin. He says, you have heard that it was said of old, you shall not murder. Whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, whoever is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. What point is our Lord making? That murder, contrary to popular belief then and now, is not something that one merely does with his hands. Murder can also be done with the heart. Whoever is angry at his brother. Murder can also be done with the mouth. Whoever says, you fool. Keeping the commandments of God is not merely a matter of keeping ourselves from doing certain external deeds or acts. We can also very much break the commandments of God in thought and in word. If the heart is murderous, if the mouth is murderous, but one keeps his hands from carrying it out, what righteousness is there in that? None at all. Sin is a problem so deep it penetrates our nature so that even St. Paul will write, the good that I want to do, I do not. The evil that I do not want to do, I keep on doing. Who will save me from this body of death? His answer, thanks be to God through Christ Jesus our Lord. The power of sin is so great that we simply cannot remove it from ourselves. So much for free will. We cannot remove it from ourselves even if we keep our hands from sinning. There's still our mouths. And even if we keep our mouths from sinning, there are still our thoughts. Do we just give up then? Go on sinning so that grace may abound? Well, of course not. And that's precisely Paul's point in Romans 6. The point is that the remedy to sin is not in us, not in our actions, not in our abilities. The only remedy for our sin is in Christ Jesus. The death, he died. He died to sin once for all. The life he lives, he lives to God. So you also... Paul writes, you who have been baptized into Christ's death and into Christ's resurrection, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus.
Indeed, that's precisely what it means to walk in newness of life. Death of Jesus means not only that our sins are forgiven, but that his death truly is your death. You have been buried with him. And his resurrection means not only that you will be resurrected in your body on the last day, but that even now you might walk in a new baptismal life, a new identity with God as your father. So, have we even scratched the surface of holy baptism as taught in the scriptures? Nope, not really. Have we at least exhausted this one little section of St. Paul's teaching on baptism? Nope, not even that. But God willing, we have begun to see baptism for what it truly is, the profound and ongoing work of God. God at work in us in such a way that he is conforming us into the image and likeness of his own beloved son, that his death is our death, his resurrection, our resurrection, and thus his life our life, buried with him, raised with him, we increasingly become as he is. And that is how we must strive to see ourselves, to perceive our lives and all that happens to us. God is at work. He is using all things to conform us into the image of his son. There's nothing that you have done or could do that would change the fact that God is your father and you are his beloved child. That is the reality and promise of baptism. It's why the catechism teaches us every morning as we rise to make the sign of the cross and remember that we are God's baptized children. And every night at the close of the day, before we close our eyes and commend ourselves to God again, we make the sign of the cross and remember that we are his baptized children. He is our dear father. That is who God is. And no matter what things that you have done or said or thought, no matter how distant, defiled, or ashamed you might feel, you must know this. Your father will not forsake you. But even when he sees you moving toward him, even if you're still a long way off, he rushes to embrace you and forgives you and wraps you in the robe of Christ's righteousness and welcomes you back home. God's own child, I gladly say it. I am baptized into Christ. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.